Hello, Gallery Church. Welcome to Gallery Church Online. We are so glad that you are with us. I'm Ellis. I'm one of the pastors, and I want to get us started this morning in Philippians chapter 3, looking at verses 10 and 11. And it says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We desire to know Jesus Christ as a community more intimately, and we have designed this online experience so that it can be true in our lives. Jesus is the life and light, and we desire for you to see him here today. If you're new to our church, man, we welcome you. I'm so glad you joined us here. Our mission as a church is to be a display of God's greatness, and we are thankful that you chose to spend this time with us. If you are watching during our 10.30 a.m. gathering, I want to invite you as a guest to join us in a Zoom lingering that starts 10 minutes after the gathering. The link is in the description of this message. But before we move forward in today's worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus, let's enter into a time of focus on generosity. It is so important that we keep our Father in Heaven's character out in front of us he has displayed generosity and we desire to follow his example. Please join me now in this prayer of generosity. Father in heaven, there is nothing that I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstanding the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us, I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the light of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all of the world. Amen. I would like to encourage you right now to take a moment to give you can give through the app or you can give, give online at gcbdowntown.com forward slash giving. Thank you for participating in worship with us. And we hope that you can see Jesus displayed in this online gathering. Welcome to week three of our six-week series about the makings, meetings, and methods of the early church. We're drawing inspiration from the first century church for the decisions and direction of our church today. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, Matthew 18, 3. This week, we look at the ministry of the early church with a focus on how they were ready to pivot and change their structures and approaches to meet the needs of their time. In Acts chapter 6, we read, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews 
because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicocor, Timian, Pomenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a a convert from Judaism. They present these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And I love those words of Jesus, but there's going to be more on the scriptures that were just read to us, especially um, that um, Matthew text regarding Jesus talking about children. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that in a minute. If you're just joining into this gathering, I'm Pastor Ellis, one of the pastors here and had the privilege of talking to us as a church family today. So no matter where you're watching from, just feel honored that you're joining us today. Uh, look forward to sharing some good things with us today as a church and just want to use this time as well to say if you missed our town hall uh, this past Saturday, uh, it is available. I, I believe it's posted on YouTube and Facebook uh, for you to go back and watch that. It was just a powerful time together, uh, just talking and sharing amongst our church family and would love for you to take time to get caught up and watch that with us. All right, so we're we're in a series and Man, I, I just, I feel like I just want to run into this teaching. And so my temptation right now is just to go way too fast. And I don't want to do that. I want us to pace ourselves and to really sit in this teaching together. And so, uh, I am recording this on a Tuesday and it feels, um, uh, just like there's this heightened uh, sense of anticipation and just wanting us as a church to hear these words and be able to put them into practice, especially in this just corrupt generation that we're in and the, all that we're facing, taking that language out of Acts 2 that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So we're in a series where we're wanting to learn from the early church. So let me let me remind us, and I've said this before, we're not wanting to look at the early church in a legalistic way where we are reading and trying to say, well, what they did, we have to do. We're trying to discern, like, what are we learning that is for us? And then what can we read and to learn about them and what they were dealing with uh, that was good for them that's, that not, that might not necessarily apply to us today. And that takes us leaning into some things and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but to, we want to honestly in this series evaluate our lives. And when I say our lives, if, if you claim the gallery church is your church family, then that's the people that I want us to be evaluating. Like, us, like, what are we, what are we doing? Who are we as a church? And, and are we being faithful in our generation like the early church was? And so what are we hearing and learning that impacts us? 
But let me be very clear. There are some principles that we are going to discover that will require action on our part. Like we must go implement this or we'll just be being disobedient. And we need to make sure that if we're claiming that we believe in our faith and our hope and our trust is in Jesus Christ, that, that we follow with our obedience to him. And so I love how Jesus uh, used children because children in the first century were outsiders in culture. And Jesus constantly was pulling people into his teachings in conversations that were viewed by the majority culture as outsiders. And children were, were one of them. And I love the example of children and him asking us to be like them. And when you think about it, a child has life ahead of them and not a lot behind them. And I think that's important for us to realize here because he's asking us as adults or wherever we are in, in our age range right now is to come to him as a child, which means that we need to look at what a child was like. And, and so a child was somebody that really had life ahead and wasn't focused on what was behind. They weren't limited by their past struggles. They were really excited about the new day and, and new things that were coming from a loose tooth that would turn into a, an adult tooth and the excitement about that or, or the going from one grade to the next. Like there, there's constant change in a child's life, a constant progression. Things are coming into more clarity for them and they're growing up physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They, they even get the joy of, of growing out of clothes many times, even before they're worn out. Like uh, there's growth spurts and times that children hit where it's like you buy them a new pair of pants and next month they can't wear it anymore. Like for my son, it seemed like he was constantly needing new shoes because his feet seemed to be growing every week. And, and as a child, there's this idea that development is ahead. I'm growing and learning and expanding and becoming more and more and more into the person that I was meant to be. But we as adults, and this is why I believe Jesus in another teaching brought in the concept of a new wineskin versus an old wineskin, because what we do as an adult is we find something that we like and we're comfortable in. And so we shape everything into that. And then we don't want there to be any flexibility to it. Like this is how it has to be. And so the early church following Jesus's teachings and learning from what Jesus taught them and then listening to the spirit seemed to keep a flexibility to what they were doing. And so we're going to be looking at some of that today. And hopefully we as a church can continue to be obedient and not have things restricting us that are keeping us from that obedience. Um, I have this on a slide for us. They, the early church talked about being in the kingdom or actively seeking the kingdom. And Jesus taught about the kingdom. And so what does that mean? The kingdom is any way of us living in the will and the way of our father in heaven. Do you, can you read that? Can you hear that? Any way of living in the will and in the way of our father in heaven. I want that to sink in because that's what the early church wanted. Their ministry was the will and the way of their father in heaven. Um, I love to be on the water. Now, I am a motorboat type of guy where I like to have a motor. And I know that's not as, as good for the environment and sailing is much better. But the thing I do love about sailing is you have these beautiful ships and these beautiful sails and the, 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 just the, 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 
the way that they can approach the water and just the elegance of them. But a sailboat is dependent upon one thing that you can't plan for each and every day, and that's the wind. And I believe that the early church should be that, like that sailboat where we are ready for whatever adventure is ahead of us to capture the direction of the wind of the Holy Spirit so that we can move in obedience to wherever the Spirit of God pushes us. But too often we like where we're headed and we bring the sails down and we put a motor on the back and then we control our own destiny. We control our own speed and direction when the power of the spirit might say, no, we need to slow down this season or no, we need to speed up this season. Dependency upon the spirit of God. There's a powerful story in the Old Testament that I think is really important for us as we get into this ministry of the church. And it's referred to as Nehushtan. Now, Nehushtan is the story of the, the children of Israel after they had come out of Egypt. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but there were poisonous snakes involved. There were, there's this, they, they lose this sight of their freedom from their slavery and their captivity and the freedom that has now come. And now they feel more bound up. It's, it almost is a story that in our modern day English language would find talking to somebody regarding the grass is greener somewhere else. And I love the, I love the way that people have shaped that and say, no, the grass is greenest where you water it. And, and so the, this is a story of the nation of Israel where they are now understanding the burden of their freedom. The, that means there's burden to their choices and, and their responsibilities. And they were now wanting to blame somebody else. And so with this mentality was that they wanted to go back to Egypt. So they started grumbling about Moses and God and all the things that were around them. And a lot of it had to do with their own personal choices and the, punishment for their choices, but they were wanting to blame somebody else. And so they had this mentality that was still oppressing them and they wanted to keep complaining. And so the way that God judged them was sending poisonous snakes amongst them. And they had to learn from that experience. And um, so Moses prays, and in the process of his prayer, God says to him, I want my people to learn, and I want my people to turn to me. I can, I can take the poison out of them if they will just turn to me, which that turning for them wasn't just a glance like, oh, let me just look at this, but it was actually a physical, I, I mentally, emotionally, and physically am going in this direction, um, complaining, um, frustrating, not satisfied with the freedom God has given me. Um, and I'm complaining about that. I'm turning to God, eyes on him, obedience to him. And so they, God gave Moses the way for which they could turn and look to him. And they created on this post a serpent and, and in it, Israel was allowed to turn and to look and to be healed. And God's power was on them and they, the poison was removed from them and it became a powerful moment for them in their, in their turning to God, their love for God, their obedience to God. But, and even Jesus used this illustration in talking about himself 
in the gospel of John, that he was like the serpent that was going to be lifted up to take away the sins of the world. But what ended up happening is, is Israel fell in love with that moment. So if we were to jump forward to second Kings chapter 18 from um, later on in their history, we'll find that they had frozen that experience in basically an old wineskin, and they were now carrying this serpent on a post around with them, and they were offering incense offerings to that to it and worshiping it. And so we find in Second Kings eighteen verse four, it says, "He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles, and he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made." For up to that time, the Israelites had burned burning incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. So they actually had taken the post with the serpent on it and gave it a name. That's how much they were trying to live in that moment. But can I tell you, let me ask you a question. How many times did God do something like that in the recorded history of Israel? Or do we know of outside of Jesus on the cross where God had people look to an, an object for healing or for poison to be taken out or for forgiveness. He, he didn't. God had only done it that one time. And so this one time they were trying to take and make it over all time. And God's like, no, the only thing that's consistent about me is I'm always going to meet you where you are. I might not meet you in the same way, but I'm always going to be there with you. I am consistent in my presence. I'm consistent in my power. I'm consistent in my wisdom. But the way in which I approach you is always going to be personal to your moment and what you're going through. So God never did anything like that again. So let's move forward in history and get a little bit closer to the time when we're reading um, of, of the passages today. The early church was like a child. These people that were now coming out of Acts 2 and the message of Peter and were responding and their hearts were open, everything was ahead of them. They were eager to learn. And occasionally they took some moments like Nehushtans and, and were trying to embed them. And if we had time to read through all of Acts right now, we could go to those. So the ministry was taking shape, it was moving, and there were moments where they were trying to hold things and they were dealing with all of that. And the apostles were constantly trying to correct them and keep them moving in the right direction. So we're going to spend some time in Acts 6 today, but I wish we had time to get into Acts 15, but I realized that my recording was going to be way too long. And so most of the materials about Acts 15 are in the notes section of our app, and you'll be able to take time in our growth communities and in your hubs this week to look more intently at what took place in Acts chapter 15. But we're going to spend time on Acts chapter 6 today. So even if you're not in a growth community, I believe those notes will be beneficial to you, the questions and the ways to process it. So just don't process it by yourself. Do it with a friend. Um, invite your hub into that moment, a, a, a close group of people, or even if it's your spouse or a child or somebody, just somebody that you can um, take some time to process that together with. It's in the notes. Acts chapter 6. Um, I want to notice, I want you guys to notice how many times they're called disciples. Again, people watching the church called them Christians three times, but the way they referred to themselves wasn't as Christians, but it was as a disciple. I wonder if that could be really important for us today. They had an identity of being Jesus's apprentices, this, ide this identity that they wanted to understand 
who Jesus was and how to do what he did just like him. They, they wanted to do what he did. And so it says that their activity, their struggling, their wrestling in the spirit and the leadership and the teaching, everything that was happening in Acts 2, that they were increasing by numbers constantly. So what is the context of Acts chapter 6? I think it's fascinating. And so before we get into Acts 6, let me just give you a summary of what was happening in Acts chapter 5. Their church leaders had been arrested for telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So they're arrested. They're in a religious court, not a secular court, a religious court. They're being held on trial. People are giving testimony against the things that they're saying about Jesus. And so we find that that court cases happened. They're flogged, which means they're beaten in front of the crowd. Um, Gamiel gives a powerful speech that kind of in the moment saves them. But then we get down to verse 40. And let me read Acts 5 verses 40 and 41, 42 for us. It says, his speech, Gamiel's speech persuaded them and they called the apostles and had them flogged. Wow, they persuaded them and then they still got flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. So Gamiel saved their life, basically. So they just got a beating and were told, don't go talk about Jesus anymore. And they let them go. And so listen to what happened. So the apostles left the Sanhedrin, which was this religious leaders in this religious court, rejoicing. Okay, they just went through a court case and were beaten and flogged and told not to talk about Jesus and were let go. And it says they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And that name is Jesus Christ. And it says day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Did you catch that? They were rejoicing because they were suffering for the kingdom that Jesus started. And the last words of the Sanhedrin were shut up about Jesus and stop telling people about Jesus. But they couldn't stop talking about Jesus. They continued. They rejoiced because they knew they were suffering for the right reasons. They knew that Christ had also been abused and flogged and beaten and even killed. And they were now following after Christ. And they counted that as worthy of rejoicing because they knew they were doing what Jesus wanted for them to do. They were speaking. They couldn't stop speaking. I believe this needs to be our heart as well, church. This heart that says, no matter what I go through, I am going to be obedient to what we know is true. And here we're seeing that they knew they needed to prophesy. They needed to share the good news and nobody could tell them not to do it. And it was worth suffering for it. So we are in a Jesus movement. We are following Jesus. I want you to understand this. I also think it's really important in our generation for me to say this. We are in a Jesus movement and not in a social justice movement. And let me let you listen to me before you jump to conclusions about what I'm saying, because this early church was dealing with many of the same things that we're dealing with today in regards to race and economics and education and judgment and the lack of resources being shared appropriate. The movement that we're a part of has everything to do with Jesus. It is about Jesus. We cannot do this without Jesus. We can't 
act without Jesus. We can't move and speak without Jesus. And it is because it's about Jesus. It is about justice, compassion, and peace. Because we as a church are moving about because of Jesus, therefore, if we're acting like Jesus, it will be just, it will be compassionate, and it will be be, be, be be peace. That's why we can't just do justice rally. We can't just do peace rally. We can't just do compassion ministry because Jesus isn't a side item. Jesus is the main dish. Jesus is the point behind everything that we're doing. And a lot of us now want to do compassion. We want to see justice, but we're not willing to talk about Jesus. And what we're finding in Acts 5 and into the story in Acts 6 is they were putting Jesus at the center, even willing to suffer for him. And they rejoiced in that suffering because they were doing the justice of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus and they were seeking the peace of Jesus. So now we get into Acts 6 and because of Acts 6, let's look at this in verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, did you hear that? They were, it was increasing. They were talking and prophesying about Jesus and, and sharing their resources with one another and their numbers were increasing. And it says the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what's the difference between a Hellenistic Jew and a Hebraic Jew? Well, basically the difference is, is a Jew that grew up in another country versus a Jew that stayed in Jerusalem. A Hellenistic Jew, if you, it's kind of weird that Hellenistic is basically a word that describes Greek culture that had spread around the globe. And so when you moved away from Jerusalem, you would learn to speak other languages. You developed other cultural habits. So when you came back to Jerusalem, your language was different. Your Hebrew might be a little bit shoddy and not quite as fluent, or you may have forgotten words and your default might be a different language. You may have forgotten customs. You may have acted differently. Your home might be presented differently. And so Hellenistic Jews were from other places and had other influences. But the Hebraic Jews were those local Jews that came to follow after Jesus, but were still in the rich tradition of Judaism. And so the outsiders, and I think this is important, the Hellenistic Jews, even in the midst of that early church, felt comfortable enough to speak up about the injustice that was happening inside of their church. So those of you that are watching me right now, some of you, I, I wish I could call out my name, but I don't want to embarrass, but some of you are not the majority in our church. Some of you are not, they do not have the resources that a lot of the people in our church have. Some of you might not have the same language as other people have. But when you see injustice in the church, you must speak up. You must speak up. But the thing I love about the early church in Acts 6 is when the Hellenistic Jews spoke up about the widows who not getting their fair share of the daily distribution of food um, that was being shared amongst them, the early church was responsive to it. It didn't tell them to be quiet and stay in the back and stay in your place. It actually says that they responded. And let's look at that response because they were delighted that the church was increasing and that the good news was going forth. In verse two, it says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, 
It would be, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And this word wait is where we get our word deacon from. It's, it's this idea of a servant. And so did you hear this? The 12 were saying that they had to do the ministry of the word and not neglect that while this compassion was being taken care of. So when it talks about the ministry of the word, I want you guys to understand they didn't have a Bible like we have. The ministry of the word um, was the message of God going out. It's sort of like when you when you're spending time with a a friend and you have something important to say, you say, I want to have a word with you. Um, there's something important that needs to be said. That's, that's one of the simplest ways that we can understand this. Now, they were looking through the, the Hebrew scriptures. We'll find in other places in the book of Acts where that became a real big subject matter of looking at their, the, what we would call the Old Testament in, in figuring out what that meant for them in the early church day. But this ministry of the word was them focusing on how do we tell people about Jesus? How do we talk about the forgiveness? Or as Paul described it as faith, hope, and love, that is the ministry of the word and that can't be neglected. It must stay the emphasis of the church. Yet compassion and justice were beginning to grow and they know, they knew they needed to deal with it. And so they couldn't just neglect it. They needed attention. So what happens in verse three? Brothers and sisters, family language, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of this, of spiritual wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they were identifying seven of them that the Holy Spirit was obviously on. Other people were noticing it. Did you catch that? Like they weren't doing a job application and saying, who wants to volunteer? They looked at the crowd and said, let's look for seven people that have the obvious anointing of the Holy Spirit on them and choose them to do this good work amongst us. Like it wasn't to be overlooked or not to be done. It needed to be done and they were looking for people to do it. And so the proposal pleased the whole group. I love the communal conversation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then they chose these others um, that I won't mention right now. And they presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so they had this commissioning ceremony to say, we're going to do this work and you now have the authority to do this work amongst us. So verse seven, so the word of God spread. You hear that? So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I love this. Let me point out a couple of things. So the word of God spread. The number increased and even priests were becoming obedient to the faith. I love what the writer Luke is doing here. He doesn't say the good news is that food was distributed. He says, so the word of God spread. He doesn't say the food got distributed. Now, he was talking about the fact that it was a, a joy that that got solved and that that was happening, but the movement was still going forward. 
the justice went forward as the gospel went forward, the good news, the message of Jesus, and the people were becoming obedient, like loyal, not like, um, I'm just going to, oh, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm just going to believe in Jesus, but I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do with my life. It was saying that these priests and these other people were being obedient, loyal. They were dropping and shedding their past practices that didn't align with Jesus, and they were fixing their eyes on Jesus and they were going with Jesus. And, and so they were going to make the adjustments in their life, go counter culture to what they had been living and live in the new kingdom culture that they were learning about. And I, and I want you guys to see the celebration at the end was that that was happening. And, and we as a church can't just celebrate our compassion ministry. We need to celebrate that the word of God is moving forward. And that both need to be held together equally as important to one another. But the temptation in our generation is to not talk about Jesus and just to be focused on compassion ministry. So let me go back to where we started with the little children. I would like to invite all of us to take those words of Jesus seriously just for a moment. Now, this isn't sort of like a self-help group or, okay, now let's take a moment and imagine we're children. But I do want us to ponder this seriously. This passage falls in Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus is talking to him about going into his kingdom. And the disciples' first response was, well, who's going to be in charge? Like they were, they, they were focused on the culture celebration of kingdom. Who's going to have power? Who's going to be famous? What is going to be success by worldly standards? And Matthew 18 is Jesus's address to our temptation for power and prosperity and provision and all of the popularity that comes with people that are in charge of kingdoms. And Jesus says to them, truly, in verse three, I tell you, unless you change, like he's saying, the way you are right now, you're focused on the celebrations of the things in the world that worldly people celebrate, power, privilege, fame, prosperity. And he's saying, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I just want you guys to know we are not defined by our past and we are not defined by the power that this culture and this world thinks we have. We are defined by our obedience to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And actually, let me take one step back and actually say this. We are actually defined by the love of God. We are loved by God and we are his treasured creation. We are his sons and daughters. And, and our identity is in that. Our identity is not made up by the compliments in the perspective or the judgments of this world. Our life and our purpose and our identity is defined by our Father in heaven who has loved us so much. And this opens up for us his kingdom and his leadership for us in his way. His will and his way is opened up to us when we approach him like a little child. So we're invited to look at 
our life ahead with Jesus and not our life in the past without him. There is a lot of things that many of us have that have been hurtful and have built up in the past. And there needs to be community love. We're going to be talking about the ways that we provide more care for one another, the message and the multiplication of his church in the weeks to come. But we need to understand that there is a way for you and I to fix our eyes on Jesus, to obediently follow after him, where we can announce good news and be involved in compassionate ministry. And we are not meant to just be observers. We're invited to much more. We are invited to engage together in his church so that we can begin to meet the needs in one another and the needs in others. So I just want to encourage you, if you're watching and you are not in one of our growth communities, would you please take the step to get involved in that? You can email us and let us help you get connected. You can call us, let us help you get connected. You can go in the app, click the connect button. We want to help you get connected to a group so that we can start to experience the word of God being spoken, the prophecy, the good news, and compassion at the same time and us wrestle in that together. So here as a church, as soon as the benediction is over in our neighborhood churches, we're going to take some time to linger together and we can ask questions and work some of this out more together. I want to encourage you to take time to join us there. and We can even help you in that moment get connected to a growth community. We as a church need to approach Jesus like a child where we are learning and, and able to grow and celebrate new things that are being added to us. I had someone ask me this past week about desiring prophecy and desiring the other gifts. And how do you do all of that? And I love the freshness of that. The way that I viewed that was like, as if somebody's coming up to me, wiggling a tooth, like my tooth is about ready to come out. And I'm getting ready to get another one. It's like they were, you, we desire the adult teeth. We desire to have these exciting new moments. And, and that's what we need to be as a church. Like, what do we desire? What are we longing for? Are we wanting the good news to go forward? Are we wanting to participate in compassion ministry? The pressures on the early church, they were adapting. They were adjusting, but they weren't changing the things that were the most important. And they continue to make adjustments that we'll begin to see in Acts 15 in our growth communities this week. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time and this way in which we can communicate. We want to learn what it's like to approach you as a child. We want to learn what it is like to be obedient to you. Father, we don't want to neglect prayer and the prophecy, the speaking of the word of God to others, the will and the way of our Father, the, the forgiveness of sins, the joy of salvation, the ways that we can be set free from bondage. We need to be able to do that. And, and we need people in our church to be able to focus on that. But Father, there are so many places where we need to see comp compassion and justice and mercy and peace. And Lord, we wanna be a part of that. And so Lord, help us as a church to be able to do both to speak the word and do justice, Father. We are a part of your movement, Jesus, and we want to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Amen. We want to invite you to respond to the word of God that we just received. 
we believe we are getting closer to becoming the church that Jesus wants us to be. We know that he is speaking and working in our hearts. We want to focus on three responses. First, do you feel like you are holding back? Are you engaging in kingdom relationships the way that you should be? Let's pause together and listen to the Holy Spirit. What is he saying to you? Second, as a little child, what is coming next for you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about your past, your future, your development, your perspective? Third, where have you seen both the good news of Jesus and acts of compassion done together? Let's take time to praise the Lord. Let's tell him how thankful we are and how blessed we are to be his sons and daughters. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit and acknowledge his work in us. All right, church, I want to give you a couple of announcements before we end our gathering. This week, we start our church-wide time of prayer and fasting, and that'll be on Tuesday. So I want you to be watching for push notifications throughout the week and, and look for the PDF uh, information packet that's available in our app that's also linked in our media platforms like YouTube and Facebook. So please make plans to join our elders and staff as we look to give up some of our freedoms this week to seek the Holy Spirit and how he can complete his work in us. I also want to take some time to remind you that 10 minutes after we have this gathering Zoom lingering moment as a church, the link is also in the description. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you can find it in that description. Uh, it's also in our church app in the more section. So 10 minutes after the benediction, plan make plans to join us on Zoom. This is a time, 15, about 15 minutes for us to connect ask questions, celebrate what the Lord is doing in our church. But this week we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. So grab some bread and a cup and have your plans on joining us. We are so grateful to be the church. We look forward to opportunities for those of you that are new to make connections with us. And there's a this post-service Zoom is a great opportunity for us to connect with those of you that are new, as well as many of us that haven't seen each other in a while. So join us 10 minutes after the gathering. All right, let me take time for our benediction. As we go from here today, may we see clearly that the word must go out and that compassion ministry must be done. Both are equally important. And may we see more clearly what Jesus meant when he compares our faith and that of the life of a child. May we put our past behind us and strive for the new days our Lord Jesus has planned for us to live in ministry with him. And may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much.